Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of two rounds of frightening fiction about paranormal portals and freaky phenomena. I'm Otis Gyrie host of the Scary Stories Told in the Dark podcast, now in its eighth season. My show is available on iTunes and wherever podcasts can be found. So if you enjoy all things spooky, come on over to my neck of the woods and check us out too. You won't be sorry you did. Tonight I'll be filling in for my very good friend, Steve Taylor, who will be back in February. In the meantime, I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Word Dogger and Ryan Harvel to life are voice talents Mick Dark and Drew Blood. Now get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. 
It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale tonight comes to us from author Word Dogger and is performed by Mick Dark. Mick's new series of the same name can be found on our YouTube channel, where you'll find new weekly releases from him and a playlist with all his stellar stories compiled in one easy-to-find place. So if you enjoy his rendition of tonight's sinister tale, please do him a favor and check him out and let him know that Otis sent you. In our first round of frightening fiction tonight, a man witnesses something that defies explanation. But that won't stop him from trying to get to the bottom of it. Without further ado, I present to you The Dark Thing. I live in a small town in America's heartland where nothing much ever happens. People go to work and go to church and everyone pretty much knows everyone else. We all shop at the same stores, send our kids to the same schools. There are picnics at the town square on holidays, and seldom do we have a crime more serious than vagrancy. Some might call our little town quaint, or even dull. But I would argue that point. It's a trade-off. Maybe we don't have the same opportunity for excitement that many places across the country have, but we don't live in fear either. You can leave your car and your house unlocked if you choose, and you don't have to worry about having any of your stuff stolen. You can walk alone down the street in town, not worry about being attacked or even hassled in any significant way. People can let their children play in their yards without watching them every second. Yeah, it's a trade-off. Excitement for safety. But one we feel a pretty fair bargain. Until lately. Though rather insignificant by most crime standards, about two weeks ago, people's pets started disappearing. I'm not talking about two or three pets over that period. I'm talking about several a day. By last count, there had been 26 pets gone missing. Mostly dogs, but a few cats as well. Curiously, most of the pets had disappeared from their owners' backyards, often fenced in with no apparent points of egress. So it wasn't as though these pets were just wandering off or anything. Also, as far as I know, none of the pets that have gone missing have been found. My neighbor across the street, Mr. Braswell, he's lived in the house for about 40 years. Since his wife passed a few years ago, he's been living there alone. Well, him and his German shepherd. He calls him Soldier. Anyway, Soldier went missing the night before last. I found Mr. Braswell out at his mailbox yesterday morning and he told me what he'd seen of it. He told me that he'd let Soldier out back in his well-fenced yard just before bedtime, as he always did. The moon was mostly full, so he could see his dog run around the perimeter of the fence towards a back corner. That's when he first saw it, though he couldn't really explain what it was. He said it was like a large, dark mass, just sort of resting along the back fence. Strangely, though, he said it wasn't something he could discern the details of, but it was more like a space where the moonlight just didn't illuminate. He said he could tell soldiers saw it too because he stopped and looked at it, his tails and ears at attention. He thought he heard soldier growl, and then 
he'd simply run towards it and disappear inside the black mass, almost like he'd run through a portal. Okay, let me be clear about something. I'm not one to be critical of the elderly, especially of someone who'd served in the military like Mr. Braswell had. But I'd always thought that maybe his faculties weren't what they once were. He was getting on up there in age. I think he was over 90, still. Of all the people who'd lost pets over the last two weeks, he was the first person who'd actually claimed to see it happen. That reason alone was enough for me to feel he ought to at least be listened to. He said he'd called the police and they'd come out and taken a statement. Mr. Braswell said he felt like they hadn't really taken him seriously, though. That they just humored him. I didn't know what to make of that. Like I said, he probably wasn't as sharp as he once was. And the officers who'd come out might have thought that as well. But that didn't mean he hadn't seen what he'd seen. That people's pets were disappearing had long since become a serious area of concern for people in my town. But last night, the seriousness and the concern ratcheted up exponentially. A family two streets over from mine, the Carsons, had a nine-year-old boy named Tommy and a two-year-old poodle named Trixie. Just after supper, apparently, as he often did, Young Tommy took Trixie on a walk down to the end of their cul-de-sac. Neither one of them made it back home. There were people walking along the route who'd said they'd seen them walking down the sidewalk like normal, nothing seeming the matter. No one had seen anything unusual either. No strange vehicles or loiterers. And obviously, no one had seen them abducted. They just vanished. As a cliche goes, without a trace. Clearly, the disappearance of a child had changed things. Fear had come to settle over the community at large. And there was now a visual police presence. Something seldom seen or felt in our little town. I'd heard that the mayor had called for the FBI too, but I hadn't seen any evidence of that. Tonight though, as did all my neighbors, I went home and locked my doors. I have a border collie named Jenna, and I've often thought how glad I was she couldn't talk. If she could, she'd probably prove that she was smarter than I was, which would have been really uncomfortable for both of us. But she couldn't talk. So we went along playing the roles of master and pet. The point, though, is that she was a very smart dog. The smartest dog I'd ever been around. It must have been sometime around midnight when Jenna woke me. It had been a while since I'd let her out to go to the bathroom. I stumbled towards the back door, but then I remembered about everything that had been going on. Still, I knew she had to pee. So in spite of the fact that there was a full moon, I grabbed my flashlight and I took it out with us. It didn't take me long to see it, almost exactly as I'd imagined it when Mr. Braswell had described what he'd seen. There was a dark space just to the right of my patio, a space where the light just didn't seem to go. It was larger than I'd imagined, maybe 10 to 15 feet square. I couldn't tell for sure because it wasn't static. It seemed to move, expand, and contract, keeping me from getting a fix on it. I reflexively turned on my flashlight, and I shined at the darkness. And the entire thing 
lit up, like someone had put a lit candle inside a paper bag. I felt fear, but I felt awe as well. Looking at this thing that just didn't appear to be from our world, I was mesmerized. I'd sort of lost track of what was going on, only managing to wonder what this thing could possibly be. Jenna had been sitting on her haunches next to me, but by the time I came back to the moment, she'd stood and walked several places towards the thing. I moved the flashlight's beam to her. She looked back at me over her shoulder and I yelled for her to get away. Jenna! To come back to me. But then she just trotted forward and disappeared into the darkness. I yelled something. I don't remember what, but before I realized what I was doing, I started to run after her. But by the time I'd reached the thing's perimeter, my innate fear had taken hold, and I'd begun trying to stop my forward progress. It was too late, though. I at least partially crossed the thing's edge, and what I saw, it was almost indescribable. There was a vast landscape stretched out before me, a desert landscape beneath a bright, silvery sky, and it felt nothing like being in the real world. Everything was fluid, like it was made from paper or flames, maybe. It was being blown and stretched by a stiff wind. Even my own hands and arms appeared distorted in that same way as I looked down at them. It was disorienting. The landscape was mostly devoid of color as well. Everything appeared in varying shades of grays and whites, as though it was being washed out by the brightness of the light. There was a constant noise, too, like the rush of water or a steady wind causing everything to sound and feel fuzzy. I don't know how long I was in that place. A second, a minute, a day. All I know is that I found myself tumbling onto my backside there on the patio. The dark thing still looming over me. I can't say if I'd managed to lurch backwards somehow or if the thing had simply expelled me, but I was out. Jenna, however, was still in. Otherwise, everything seemed eerily calm and quiet. There was no wind, no leaves rustling in the trees, no animal noises at all, no sounds from any of my neighbor's houses. It was like I was all alone, like that's how the dark thing wanted me. And I could feel adrenaline beginning to pulse through my veins. Probably out of fear, I switched my flashlight back on and shined it at the dark thing. As before, it lit up in a muted peach-colored glow. Also, there came a sound from it. A distant sound that seemed to move closer over time. Soon enough, I could tell what that sound was. It was Jenna. She was barking from somewhere inside that vast landscape, the fiery, colorless desert I'd seen with my own eyes. Somehow, existing within this relatively small space in my backyard. I felt a rush of excitement or anxiety or something. No matter, my dog was lost somewhere inside that thing and I wanted her out. I rationalized that it would be foolish for me to go back in because then we'd both be lost, just like the rest of the pets and just like young Tommy. So, instead of venturing in, 
I called to her, loud as I could, over Jenna. and over, Jenna. and then I stopped to listen. Sure enough, before long I heard her reply. She was getting closer too. I could tell from the sound that she was getting closer. Probably from my excitement over her drawing nearer, I managed to move the beam from the dark thing. Naturally, the illumination went away, but so did Jenna's barking. Somehow, I knew, I knew right then and there that the light was the key. The beam of light was the portal into and out of the dark space. I hurriedly shone the light back at the thing. It lit back up, and I could once again hear Jenna. I kept calling to her over and over. She kept replying, sometimes seeming farther away, but sometimes closer. Finally, though, after what seemed like a long time of calling, she sounded like she had to have been right next to the edge of the darkness. Like she was just a few feet away from me. She wouldn't come out, though. She wouldn't cross over and come back into our world. Without giving it too much thought, I found myself moving back towards the darkness. Once I got to the edge, I reached my hand in. How bizarre to see your hand and arm disappear right in front of you. I reached around but could feel nothing. I kept calling to Jenna, though, and she kept barking. There came a point, however when it sounded like she was moving away, so probably out of panic, I forced myself through the dark's outer edge and I re-entered the fluid, colorless world. To my immense belief, standing right before me was Jenna, her reddish fur seemingly ablaze in the cosmic distortion. I called to her and she barked a reply though I could scarcely hear either of us over the rushing sounds from this strange world. She ran to me, though. She ran to me, though. She ran and she leapt towards my chest. And the next thing I knew, the both of us were tumbling on the grass of my backyard. I scooped her up and I gave her a big hug and she replied with a multitude of licks across my face. But then, like we'd remembered at the same time, we looked towards the dark thing. It had moved. It was still moving, in fact, towards the back of my yard. I seemed to have lost my flashlight, so I couldn't track it with light, but we watched. It moved down into the wooded gulch behind my fence row, and then it ascended towards the sky and over my neighbor's roof. Eventually, it moved too far away for us to see, its shrinking profile blending into the night sky. We went back inside, Jenna and I, and I was intending to call 911 straight away. I found my phone and started to dial, but something made me hesitate. What was I going to say? That my dog and I had been inside a dark blob that appeared in my backyard? That it was actually a portal to another universe? And I'd somehow managed to save my dog from it? Was that my story? It took me about two seconds to decide. Of course, it was my story. It's what had happened. My guess was that this dark thing had been lurking around our town for the last several weeks, and it was responsible for all the disappearances. Would people think I was crazy or that I was just trying to get attention? Sure, some would, but some wouldn't. 
The way I figured it, if people knew what to look for, they'd be more likely to find it, or for some, to avoid it. Either way, from my perspective, it was imperative that the thing be found. I'm an animal lover, so that several dozen pets had disappeared these last few weeks would be enough reason for me, just as it would for a lot of my fellow townspeople. But there was a higher calling here. Tommy Carson was in that thing, or place, or whatever it was. I knew it in my bones. And if I could make it back with Jenna, Tommy Carson could be found and brought back as well. Jenna was standing next to my chair, looking at me expectantly. I gave her a head, a quick rub, feeling immensely grateful that she was with me, that she was as smart as she was, and then pressed the send button on my phone. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed The Dark Thing, as written by Word Dogger and performed by Mick Dark. As a reminder, you can hear more of Mick on our official YouTube channel. Just search for him by name, Mick Dark, or watch for his latest releases with new tales to terrify, released each and every week. Up next, we've got a second sinister story for you, as written by Ryan Harville and performed by Drew Blood. If you enjoy Drew's performance, please check out more of his work on our channel as well, under a series of the same name. Drew is releasing brand new content every week as well, and I know you'll love it. Let us know what you think with a word in the comments, too. In Drew's latest contribution to our Hall of Horrors, we'll hear about a phenomenon called the Black Wind and why it's pointless to try and resist. So why don't you open your eyes and breathe it in? What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> now, without further ado, I present to you Sunken Tunnels of Light. The old man answered the door on the second knock. Seth stood relaxed as the door swung open, revealing a short, elderly man in a long strapped robe. Hello, the man said with a wide smile of dentures. 
Are you the computer person? Yes, Seth said, offering his hand. I'm Seth. And you are Mr. Walters? He shook Seth's hand, his skin thin, but his grip strong. Oh, yes, but please, call me Jim. Jim it is, Seth said. Uh, can I come in? Uh, are you physically able to? Uh, I I'm sorry? Jim laughed. <laughs> Just teasing you. <laughs> I taught grammar long ago. It's something I told my students when they asked, can instead of may. <laughs> don't mind me. I don't get many visitors. Please come in. <laughs> Seth's chuckle was only a little forced. Ah, you got me, he said, and followed him into the house. The inside was very cozy, earth tone colors, and walls lined with bookshelves. The ceiling was high, with wooden beams running from one end of the living room to the other. Jim gestured for him to stay while he tottered his way to the kitchen. Uh, oh, would you like something to drink? He called. Uh, I just finished making tea. Uh, no, thank you, Seth answered. So you told our dispatcher you needed some data retrieved? Jim returned, one hand holding a steaming mug. Yes, if that's what you call it. I can't get into my son's computer, and he has documents and such in there that I may need. Oh, okay, Seth said, looking around. Uh, could we contact him? I could ask. Jim's smile faded. No, I'm afraid. Thomas died recently. Jesus Christ, Seth muttered. I I'm so sorry. No one mentioned it to me. Jim waved his apology away. No harm done. There was no way for you to know. I don't even know if I told the receptionist when I called your company. Seth tried to put forth a reassuring expression but his smile felt strained. Still, though, I'm sorry for your loss. Jim nodded, then cleared his throat. <laughs> uh, thank you. Would you like to get started? Yes, please. Seth was led down the hallway. He let his gaze wander over the pictures hung there. A young boy in glasses, sitting and smiling in front of a computer. Its screen showing a familiar background of green rolling hills. The next photo was of the same boy, now a man, in a cap and gown. A younger Jim stood beside him, beaming. The young man held his newly acquired degree above his head like a trophy. That's him, Thomas, the day he graduated from college. He was so proud but not as proud as I was. Computer science. I don't know where he got it from. Certainly not me. His mother and I met in college, both of us English majors, 
But that boy was obsessed with computers since he was six years old. If it wasn't computers, then it was oceanography. <laughs> Seth realized he had been staring at the picture. He looked away. Uh, oceanography? He asked. Really? Oh, yes, Jim said. He loves studying ocean currents, deep sea diving, you name it. Come on, I'll show you. Jim opened a door closest to them, and they walked inside. Thomas's room was divided as if by an invisible line. On the left was stacks upon stacks of books, all cracked spines and worn covers. Bookmarks and sticky notes bristled from between their pages. Just a cursory glance told him that most of them had some relation to the ocean or computers, though some he couldn't tell, at least not without an interpreter. On the opposite side of the room was a desk, three large monitors covering its length, and snarls of wires and cords leading down to the towers underneath. In the corner stood a stack of servers, shelled within a metal cabinet, their lights glowing steadily behind the glass door. A wide tube was duct-taped to the vents of a window-mounted AC unit, then ran to the back of the cabinet. <gasps> wow, Seth said, equally disturbed and impressed. There's a lot going on in here. Jim laughed. <laughs> I know. <laughs> It's like you can walk from the past to the present just by crossing the room. <laughs> Seth gestured to the desk. May I? Of course, Jim said. He pulled the chair away from the desk and sat down. It was a plain wooden chair and uncomfortable as hell. How had Thomas sat in this chair for hours at a time? Jim must have noticed his expression. I'm sorry about that. It was the only extra chair I had. We had to get rid of the nicer one that was in here. No, no, it's fine, he said. He moved aside two empty energy drink cans, accidentally bumping the mouse and waking the computers. The tower's fans whirred to life, and he squinted as the monitors lit up. To his surprise, the computers were not locked. Thomas had set a single image as his background. It was the sea at night, stars shining above but only to each side of the photo. In the middle, above the sea and rising out of frame, was just black emptiness, like an unseen cloud had been there, blocking out the starlight. Instead of one landscape picture, or even the same picture set in triplicate, the image stretched across all three screens. It looked smeared, as if dripping horizontally from left to right. I'll let you get to it then, Jim said, and headed out the door. Uh, just give a shout if you need anything. Seth answered without looking away from the monitors. Okay, thanks. The computer's desktop was amazingly clean compared to the rest of the room. Three folders were visible, two on the leftmost screen and one on the right, leaving the middle screen inexplicably blank. Looks like a good place to start, he said. 
and selected a folder named Contract. He double-clicked and was immediately met with a prompt for a password. Seth had been working tech support for six years, obtaining industry certifications while still in high school and finding a job quickly after graduating. He not only knew computers, but people's computer habits. He began to rummage around the desk, moving trash and empty food containers. With that out of the way, he lifted the keyboard and found nothing. The only thing left unmoved was the mouse pad. He picked it up, then grinned as he spotted the yellow paper taped beneath. On it was a string of characters, an alphanumeric jumble, but it was easy to make out. He entered the password, and the folder opened, showing a handful of documents. Seth opened the first doc and began to read. Mr. Walters, he read under his breath. We are pleased to inform you that after... Yeah, yeah, come on. He skipped down a paragraph. We would like to make an offer on your game Black Wind for the sum of nineteen million dollars. He trailed off, the words dying on his tongue. He clicked out of the window and quickly opened the neighboring folder simply titled Game. Seth had very little software development experience, but he knew enough terminology to be able to understand what he was reading. Thomas had developed a mobile game that used a phone's camera and facial recognition software to create an augmented reality experience, a game that would superimpose images over the real world when viewed through the screen. AR games were popular. Seth even played a couple himself, but he'd never heard of this one. He pulled his phone from his pocket and looked for Black Wind in his app store. Nothing. He changed course and searched online for Black Wind Game, Thomas Walters, and various combinations of the two. Zero hits. Was someone willing to pay almost $20 million to a no-name developer living in his mom's guest room with zero online presence? Unheard of? He guessed not, but extremely unlikely. Regardless, he had to see this game. He sorted the documents by type, bringing all folders up to the top of the list, then sorted again by date. A folder named Beta sat at the top. Okay, let's see what we got, he said, reaching down to his bag and pulling out the data cable for his phone. He glanced briefly over his shoulder, making sure Jim hadn't decided to pop back in unexpectedly, then connected his phone. A new window appeared on screen showing the contents of his phone. He quickly copied the folder and watched impatiently as the green progress bar slowly filled. What the hell was he doing? He wasn't a thief. Had never even stolen so much as a cent from anyone. But was it really stealing? He wasn't going to sell it or anything. He was just curious. He wanted to see what a $20 million AR game looked like. He had a couple of minutes to wait, so he continued exploring. The last folder left was the one on the far right screen called Dad. Seth opened it, then double-clicked the only file available. Dad, the document read. I'm sorry I had to go earlier than I thought. I wish I could have seen the deal through but they wanted complete creative control. 
wanted me to just sign it away. They only care about the profit, and their plan would weaken the storm in a whisper. I can't allow the work to be diluted. I know you understand. So, I will do it myself, and when I'm gone, the black wind will be ready. I will crawl underground and undersea, into sunken tunnels of light, and out the other side. And when I see his dark face, I will wrap myself in his onyx robes and rest, happy beneath his wings. If I'm lost beneath the waves, you must find a way to continue. Plant the seed, and the roots will do the rest. Goodbye, Dad. I love you. Seth sat back against the chair slowly and let out a long breath. His mind raced. Was he really supposed to show Jim this? It was a rambling mess. It would probably hurt Jim more than it would help. He wouldn't want to remember his son like that. Before he came to a decision, his phone dinged. A cheery message stating his download was complete. He quickly unplugged it from the computer and tossed the cord back into the bag. Seth swapped the message away, revealing a new icon on his phone. It was a square as gray as uncut stone, a black hole spinning in the middle. His finger hesitated, hovering over the icon as an unknown dread seeped into his gut. He bit his bottom lip and tapped the icon. The screen flashed, then was filled with a yellow-green light. The words, Black Wind, materialized, off-center, and in an unrecognizable font. The effect was immediate. Seth felt queasy and unbalanced. It was that color, a god-awful yellow, like jaundiced skin with pus festering just beneath. It was the color of fresh phlegm, of infection. He squinted, tasting vomit in the back of his throat. The title melted away and the diseased color slowly faded, leaving only black. Gray letters swirled like leaves in a storm. Seth read the words aloud as his mind caught them. <laughs> Open your eyes. Breathe me in. A bright light flashed, and Seth dropped the phone as he stifled a cry. His eyes burned as sharp pain shot from behind the lids. Jim's voice came from somewhere. Are you okay in there? He felt like he was standing on a boat in rough seas. He sat down, trying to steady himself. Yeah, he called back, hoping he sounded calm. I'm fine. Just drop my phone. Okay. Well, I'm here if you need me. Thank you, he said, shoving the heels of his hands against his eyes and rubbing. Neat trick, he thought sullenly. He lowered his hands and opened his eyes. His phone was on the floor between his feet. The word prelude showed on the screen in bold letters. Seth picked it up and watched with growing unease as the phone's camera showed him a view of the floor. Then the desk as he lifted the phone back up in front of him. 
He aimed the camera towards the wall above the desk, searching for whatever the app was adding to the world. It wasn't until he pointed the phone back at the computer that he noticed something. There was another pair of hands, their fingers typing away at the keyboard. Seth stared at the phone, focusing on the hands, then on the words they were typing. I'll wrap myself in his onyx robes and rest, the hands typed. Seth nearly dropped the phone again, struck dumb by the vision of Thomas Walters, typing out his final letter to his father. Thomas had known he was going to die. Why else would he have recorded this, have programmed it into the game? The hands finished typing, then moved out of frame. Seth turned the camera trying to find them again, but instead found Thomas standing in the middle of the room facing away towards the servers. Seth lowered his phone, looking at the empty room, then raised it again, bringing Thomas back into view on the screen. The effect was stunning. He had never seen an AR game this detailed, this fleshed out. Thomas opened the glass door of the server cabinet and placed his left hand within, saying something too low for Seth to hear. He thumbed the volume button on his phone, setting it to maximum. Here is your beginning to our end, Thomas said. Here I have planted the seeds of your chaos. Here. I will water the seeds that they may bear your strange fruit. <laughs> Thomas's right hand came into view from out of frame, holding a black-bladed dagger. Seth didn't have time to process what he was seeing before Thomas lifted the blade and drove it into the side of his own neck, then withdrew it just as quickly. Blood sprayed from the wound, scattering droplets across the cushioned chair. <laughs> Thomas coughed and leaned forward, positioning himself so the eruption of blood coated the servers and ran down into the machines. The fans within sputtered as the blood hit them, and soon wisps of smoke rose from the ventilation ports. Seth didn't move, didn't breathe as Thomas slowly slumped to the carpet, his head and shoulders resting against the servers. His hand floundered on the carpet, fingers clumsily searching until they finally landed on their prize. A bundle of cables. Seth could see there were at least three, but none he could identify. The ends were metallic and sharp, more like hypodermic needles than ethernet cables. Thomas brought his free hand up to his neck, grimacing as he sunk two fingers into the wound there, spreading it, spilling blood from between his knuckles. He smoothly pushed the cables into the hole, slowly feeding them inch by inch until he was sure they would stay in place. His hands fell to his sides and his breathing slowed. The steady stream of blood became sluggish, then stopped entirely. Seth's fear was a lead weight in his belly, keeping him pressed to the ground and unable to turn away. The cables emerging from Thomas's neck began to pulse, shaking his body, making it twitch like a grotesque puppet. 
The service fans spun faster and faster, growing louder until they roared like crashing waves. Then Thomas began to shrink, his limbs drawing closer to his body like a dying spider. The skin of his face grew tight, as if he had received a bad facelift, his eyes bulging and rolling. Horrible squelching noises brought an image to Seth's mind that he tried to suppress, but couldn't. A straw reaching the bottom of a glass, sucking up every drop of moisture. What was left of Thomas began to crack as his desiccated skin split over the sharp edges of his bones. And then it was over. Seth lowered his phone, momentarily disoriented by the switch from the virtual bloody mess to reality. He could see it all now. The carpet was gone for one, and Jim himself had mentioned getting rid of Thomas's chair, and now it was obvious why. Stepping lightly over the hardwood floors, he went to the cabinet and opened it with a shaky hand. The inside had been cleaned, but there had been so much blood. Seth touched the top of the nearest server, amazed that it still worked then drew back his hand with a cry. He looked down to his fingers as blood welled up from a shallow cut across his palm. What the hell was that? He said, leaning forward to inspect where his hand had been. Etched into the metal top of the server was a word, the edges of its letters jagged and sharp. He couldn't make any sense of it, but when he tried to read it, the letters seemed to shift and blur. He lifted the phone by instinct, watching the letter solidify through the screen. He read the word aloud, stumbling over the unfamiliar syllables. The point of view turned dizzyingly, as if he was riding a roller coaster, and he was suddenly staring at himself. From the edges of the screen came cold black fingers, reaching for his image there, then sinking into the flesh. The image of him writhed, his mouth open in a soundless scream as the fingers pulled. His face came away like the skin of a shedding reptile, then dispersed into a thick smoke. What was left was a hole that led to nothing but inky dark. A singularity with hazy edges that reached from his hairline to his chin and from ear to ear. Seth touched his face, running his fingers over his nose, his lips, his chin. Everything was still in place, and he let out a shaky sigh of relief. The image of him faded from the screen as a message appeared. You are opened, it said, and now you will be filled. The screen began to pulse, and his brain was racked by images so vivid they could have been memories. Blood ran up strange angles in cyclopean columns, defying gravity. It flowed ever upward, finally coalescing into a giant glaring eye. It stared at him, into him. He fell, unable to withstand its searing gaze. Seth woke on the hard floor, 
his back aching and arm numb from lying on it for too long. He flexed his hand, grimacing at the telltale pinpricks of pain as the blood flowed back into it unimpeded. He groaned and sat up. Jim stood above him, Seth's phone in his hand. Here, he said, and offered him his free hand. Let me help you up. He grasped Jim's hand and hauled himself up from the floor. I'm sorry, he said. I'm not sure what happened. I've found the game. Jim interrupted. Seth stared at him, unable to hide his confusion. Yes, I... Wait, you knew? Yes, and no, he said. He took a slow step away from Jim. You, you didn't need me to get into his computer. I knew what he was working on, but not how to use it, or how to best distribute it. Seth rubbed his face with both hands. Uh, I don't understand any of this. Follow me, and I'll explain, Jim said. Although it was the last thing he wanted to do, he grabbed his bag and followed. Back in the living room, Jim took a seat on the couch. He motioned for Seth to sit. Seth shook his head. It felt crazy, but he wanted to stay standing in case he needed to run. Uh, suit yourself, Jim said. Uh, let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard of me prior to today? No, Seth said. I don't think so. I'm not surprised, he said. But... I was the poet laureate of our fair state for many years, and, and my wife, Linda, was a novelist. The names clicked together in his mind. Your wife wrote Digging Into Dark. Jim smiled. Yes. <laughs> You've read it? No, Seth admitted. But I did see the movie they made from it. Jim's smile faltered, and he sighed. <sighs> and that's my point exactly. I have published hundreds of poems, 16 books worth. And aside from that one book, none of my wife's novels reached the masses. A critical acclaim, yes, but not commercial. Over the years, people just paid less and less attention, and our message, its message, stagnated. So, we had to come up with another plan. Plan? Seth asked. Jim stared at him, a renewed vigor in his voice. When we could not spread its influence any longer, it came to us. Jim spoke the name aloud, making Seth's ears throb. He continued, and told us 
we would have to evolve our methods. It touched Linda and spread its frost into her womb. It told us that we would have a child, and that child would grow up to understand the new age. Computers, the internet, and everything to come. <laughs> My boy's talents for technology would succeed where our talents for the written word did not. <laughs> not in this age. <laughs> the game, Seth said. He'll use the game to what? <laughs> Take over the world? <laughs> he laughed at the absurdity of it. To destroy it, Jim said. Uh, to spread madness, really, but uh, the result will be the same. <laughs> it, it will pave a way for it to come into our world. You know this technology, Seth. <laughs> You'll be blessed. <laughs> One of the first carriers. Let me stop you right there, Seth said and strode past Jim. I'm getting the fuck out of here. Jesus Christ, I can't believe I stayed and listened. It doesn't need your consent, Jim said. It already opened a hole in you, but it will hurt less if you just... Seth stopped, his hands on the doorknob, and turned to glare at him. Give me back my phone. Jim tossed it to him. He caught it against his chest with one hand. Thanks. Don't be surprised when we charge you for my overtime. Seth opened the door, raised his middle finger to Jim, and went out into the dimming light of the sunset. He did not go to work the next day. Sleep eluded him. Every time he closed his eyes, he saw Thomas sliding to the floor his blood a waterfall running out of the cabinet. And that's if Seth was lucky. Other times he saw a man or a beast, but couldn't remember. It was inhuman, its skin obsidian, the edges of its hard face as smooth as blown glass. And in the soft purple moments between night and dawn, he saw the eye. The slick sphere rose before him, crimson veins as big as tree roots, its rising lid a vast curtain opening between worlds, and he was only a mote of dust before its pupil. He couldn't take it anymore. He had to get out, had to be around other people. The thought of being cooped up all day in his dark apartment made him groan. He quickly got dressed, throwing on a t-shirt and jeans without looking at them. He shoved his phone and keys into his pockets and left. The morning sunlight was a revelation, invigorating and welcome. Within moments, he was strolling down the sidewalk, smiling at passers-by, telling them all to have a good morning. For having just minutes of sleep, he felt damn good. His phone vibrated, and he fished it out of his pocket. The screen showed one new notification. Seth tapped the icon. The game started immediately, and all his goodwill fled from him.
Ready to play, it read. A sharp pain lanced across his palm, and he remembered cutting himself on the server the day before. He tried switching the phone to his other hand, but it was stuck fast. He pried at the edges of the phone, opening a gap wide enough to see beneath. Black and silver filaments connected him to his phone, reaching out and into the wound. He could feel them digging deeper into the meat of his hand, then climbing the tendons in his wrist. Seth's mouth went completely dry and his pulse hammered in his ears. The sick yellow screen faded, showing the view from his camera. He lifted it in front of him. People walked by going about their business. He pointed his phone toward a young couple in their teens. They walked hand in hand, chatting. On his screen, an amorphous gray shape hovered around the girl's head, and beneath it a message. Chance of infection, 48%, it read. He tilted his phone to focus on the boy. A darker haze floated around him. The message changed. Chance of infection, 89%. He tapped his finger on the boy's face. The haze darkened further and forced its way into the boy's nostrils and mouth until nothing was left of it. Seth watched, rapidly looking from the screen to the boy, waiting. He didn't know what for, but was sure he would know it when he saw it. The boy just stood, looking confused. The message changed. Corrupt or call? Seth hesitated, unsure of what was expected of him. He shrugged and tapped Cole. The boy cried out, dropping his girlfriend's hand and running from her. Soon he was sprinting, racing down the sidewalk. Seth watched, disappointed and fascinated in equal measure. The boy didn't stop but ran into the street. The first few cars managed to swerve away, but the truck had no chance. Its grill struck the team with a horrible thump, sending him cartwheeling. He landed hard on the asphalt, his limbs at odd angles. His girlfriend screamed. And as much as he didn't want to, Seth smiled. People poured out of their cars and the air was filled with cries. They screamed for help, doctors, and ambulance. He felt cold, his smile buoyed by an impulse that didn't originate from within him. The girlfriend was on her knees, shaky, frantically tapping at her phone. Dialing for emergency services, maybe. He didn't know or care, but framed her within his phone screen once more. The miasma still floated around her head, shapes of smoke that he couldn't make out, and the prompt flashed again. Corrupt or cull? He tapped corrupt. The girl froze, squinting at her phone. Then there was a familiar flash of light. <coughs> she cried out and fell back onto the asphalt one hand covering her eyes. On Seth's screen, the dark around the girl's face spun and whirled, then was gone, and her face along with it. That's what I looked like, 
he thought, staring at the black hole above her neck. An onlooker helped her up and handed her phone back. She held it up before her eyes like she had never seen it before and began to turn in a slow circle. Watching all the faces, he imagined. On the far side of the street, a line of cars had begun to accumulate, and Seth could feel the tension building. A car horn blared, and his hands pointed the phone at the foremost of the cars as if by their own volition. Without warning, the car took a hard right, jumping the curb and traveling up the sidewalk, gathering speed. A man pulled a child to his chest and rolled out of the way. But the group of people standing outside of the coffee shop weren't so lucky. The car never slowed as it plowed into them, dragging them screaming into the shop itself. A fresh volley of cries pierced the air as glass and blood flew. Within seconds, a group of bystanders had pulled the driver from his car, and Seth could hear the flat smacks of flesh on flesh as they beat him. Seth lowered his phone, confused. He didn't have the driver fully in frame, and never tapped any of the prompts. He cut his eyes back to the girl. She stood, watching her handiwork through her phone with tears in her eyes and a smile on her lips. Seth pressed the home key on his phone, followed by the icon that led to the app store. His search from yesterday was still there, and he refreshed the page. Black Wind was there now, with 1,199 downloads. He refreshed the page again, and the number jumped to 5,155. Every new instance of the page brought higher and higher numbers. This is how it happens, he thought. The cough that spreads the plague. Before he had plunged a knife into his neck, Thomas had written that he would travel underground and under sea through sunken tunnels of light. Cables, Seth realized with dread coiling in his guts. Thousands of cables spanning the globe. He looked to the girl again. She hadn't moved, but stood watching the chaos spread, her hair shining with the light of the morning sun. She met his gaze and smiled. Seth nodded to her and walked away staring down at his long shadow. I hope you enjoyed Sunken Tunnels of Light, as written by Ryan Harville and voiced by Drew Blood. If you enjoyed that last tale, I encourage all of you to visit Mr. Harville's official website, ryanharvillewriting.com. Harville is spelt H-A-R-V-I-L-L-E. Again, that's RyanHarvilleWriting.com. You can also find his works on Amazon.com or connect with him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget, you can hear more of Drew Blood via his series of the same name exclusively on our official YouTube channel, where you'll hear haunting new tales each and every week. 
If you check him out, be sure to give him a thumbs up and leave a kind word and tell him you heard him here on this program and that Otis sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight's episode and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And, of course, subscribe to us on YouTube where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and as always, it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Steve Taylor. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Roshek. Logo by Craig Roshek. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? We take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.